This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. You know, our favorite kind of program here in Radio Parallax is one that's not time-stamped. It's not tied to a certain, well, moment at which it's being recorded. More of something that looks back over the years, tries to summarize some data, you know, historical references, whatever. The kind of thing that, you know, you could listen to anytime. We hope in the weeks to come to, uh, to, to be to work a little harder and perhaps take one more whack at getting Daniel Ellsberg on this program. He is speaking as part of the program as they record the program that's on KLLW Philosophy Talk. It's a couple of professors from Stanford. Uh, Not a bad show. I've listened to it on many occasions. A little stuffy at times, as philosophy can be, but they had to talk about John Dewey last week, which was interesting, and during the program, program mentioned that they would be Recording live in an auditorium, their interview with Daniel Ellsberg. Dr. Ellsberg has promised me twice that he would appear on this program in the future, but we have not made it happen. But I'm going to give it one more try, okay? One more go at it and see what we can do. We're also hoping to bring you Jeff Von Kanel of the Sacramento News and Review. We keep forward promoting Jeff. Again, this is all my fault. And Mr. Merlin's too, I think, a little bit. Not mine. But uh, we'll, we'll see if we can do better. We do anticipate bringing you the author Barry Strauss, whose book Ten Caesars is uh, something we found quite curious. So anyway, enough for promoting. Just that we do accept a certain level of responsibility to try and bring you stuff that's interesting and informative. And well, it, it is a serious responsibility. I would also like to more openly solicit some feedback from you, dear listener. We used to receive more emails than we do at present, perhaps because everyone is so distracted tweeting, checking their email, getting that dopamine hit that makes, uh, you know, the web so bloody addicting. We're not going to get into that too much today. Well, maybe a little. But the point is we need to hear from you. This is a community-based show on a community-based station, if you're hearing it on terrestrial radio. And uh, you're the community, so... Would you drop us a line and tell us what you thought of the new version of Catch-22? If you checked it out, and streaming, I think, on Hulu currently. George Clooney co-produced it, co-directed it, and plays the role of General Scheisskopf in the production. I don't mind telegraphing that, that I, I enjoyed the six-part series, but again... Had to conclude that Catch-22 is a pretty difficult thing to film. Mike Nichols made an epic movie back in 1970 with an absolutely all-star cast that somehow didn't, didn't get it right. Oh, it's, it's, it's a movie worthy of merit, but it, it just didn't get Catch-22 right. And I'm not sure this series does either, but I want to hear from you. It did occur to me that I need to read Catch-22 again. It was one of my favorite books back when I was in high school. I must have read it, I don't know, six or seven times. Well... Two or three, anyway. And there's a lot you could say about this 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 book, but uh, we're not going to say it today. We may also reach out to our good pal, English professor extraordinaire and radio host, Dr. Andy Jones, for some feedback on, on this literary effort. Also, the cinematic effort. 
Dr. Andy's uh, dad used to be the movie critic on a Washington, D.C. station. And there was a time when I actually saw his dad uh, giving a movie review, which I think is kind of cool. I also invite you, dear listener, to sign off on uh, a museum in San Francisco. And no, not the popular Museum of Ice Cream, which apparently you have to know somebody to get into. I, I don't know. Apparently the tickets are pretty hard to come by. But there is a museum that I think is uh, available to all, the Museum of 3D Illusions at San Francisco's Fisherman Wharf. Uh, I'm rather intrigued by this. The stuff that's in Fisherman's Wharf does run a gamut from being, you know, really cool and interesting to pretty cheesy. I feel fairly confident that someone hearing, uh, hearing my voice right now has been to this museum, and I hope that someone will take the time to drop us an email at info at radioparallax.com. I do want to make a rather sad note on the program that Last weekend was the Memorial Day weekend here in America, where we honor those who have served in the military and many who have given, you know, the ultimate sacrifice. It's certainly our hope that the politicians of the world and politicians in America in particular will find a way to avoid future wars and uh, honor our servicemen and women um, in the best way possible by keeping them alive. Our quote of the day comes from a meme that's being sent around which states that when you're dead, you don't know you're dead. The pain is only felt by others. The same thing happens when you're stupid. And even though our president, President Donald J. Trump, stormed out of a meeting, supposedly on infrastructure, with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, to then hold an impromptu press conference in the White House Rose Garden, whereupon pointed graphic art miraculously appeared in conjunction with his talking to the microphone. This prompted Nancy Pelosi to note that Donald Trump has established a pattern of unpredictability, and at one point she even joked about the 25th Amendment, the Constitution's provision laying out the procedure for replacing a president, saying, quote, I wish that his family or his administration or his staff would have an intervention for the good of the country. Pelosi added that she prays for him and the nation. Trump, for his part, declared that Nancy Pelosi was crazy. At the press conference, he know at this press conference, he said, "Well, she's a mess," saying, "Crying Chuck, crying Nancy." I watched Nancy, and she was all crazy yesterday. As for himself, he declared, "I'm an extremely stable genius." You know, there is a rule that I think we could all stand to live by, which is to note that it's best to let other people discover your good qualities on their own instead of you informing them about them. There apparently was some tension between President Trump and Japanese uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Asked if he was bothered by North Korean missile tests, missiles which purportedly have the capability of reaching the Japanese islands. Trump said, no, I'm not. I am personally not. Abe, in contrast, said the missile tests were, quote, of great regret, unquote. You know what I think is going on here? We think at Radio Parallax that the answer may lie in the fact that Donald Trump is in love with Kim Jong-un by his own admission. As he said, they met, they fell in love. So if he lobs a few missiles out into the Sea of Japan, Trump says, no, I'm not uh, not bothered by it. I am personally not. 
Describing this series of events over in Japan, the Associated Press said that Trump also demonstrated again that he is willing to turn his back on long-held norms as he sailed into Joe Biden, one of the dozens of 2020 Democratic hopefuls, who apparently North Korean leader Kim Jong-un recently criticized as having a low IQ. Asked whether he was favoring a violent dictator over the former vice president, Trump said, I don't take sides as to who I'm in favor of or who I'm not. But I can tell you that Joe Biden was a disaster. You could argue that, I guess, but as far as we know, Joe Biden has never launched any intermediate range missiles, either before or after he was vice president. You know, this actually gets even better. Trump also sided with Kim Jong-un on the question of whether the short-term, I guess these were actually short-term, not intermediate-range missile launches, violated the UN Security Council resolutions, as both Shinzo Abe and Trump's own National Security Advisor John Bolton have stated. Said Trump, my people think it could have been a violation. I view it differently. I view it as a man. Perhaps he wants to get attention and perhaps not. Who knows? We have to ask, could it be that Kim Jong-un also has a bit of a man crush on our president? We don't know. Maybe he launched those missiles to get Donald's attention. And for one of our stats of the day, how about this one? Looking back at the Benghazi investigation, which ran for 72 months, there were zero indictments and zero guilty pleas, and Hillary Clinton testified for 11 hours before Congress. As regards the Russia investigation, which is now 14 months long, there have already been 23 indictments, five guilty pleas, and Donald Trump has testified for zero hours. Oh, by the way, in the wake of John Bolton uh, decrying the recent tests of these short-range missiles, saying they were a violation of the UN Security Council resolutions, uh, North Korea labeled John Bolton a warmonger and human defect. Which I guess again demonstrates that fact that even inaccurate sources of news uh, can occasionally be pretty much right. You know the old stop clock that's well we know we know is right twice a day. Warmonger and human defect. By the way, Trump has openly stated that contrary to the words coming out of John Bolton's mouth, he is not seeking any regime change uh, in Iran. I think I need to look around here for some good news items. Here's one. There are now 56 parrot species from tropical climates living in the wild in the United States, including in New York City and Chicago. I don't know how it is a tropical parrot can survive a Chicago winter or a New York winter, but apparently they've found spots to, to roost that keep warm. These all come about as escaped pet parrots formed breeding colonies. There are no native parrot species in the United States, although there once was the Carolina parakeet, which was exterminated by farmers. We talked many years back about that the wonderful book and documentary, The, the, the Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, uh, which showed how, well, yes, a bunch of escaped parrots had taken up residence in San Francisco. And last time we checked, they'd formed a second colony somewhere down near Burlingame, I believe. Considering the number of species we're losing across the world, I think it's, it's good news that, you know, that some of them are spreading out from their native countries and taking up residence here in the U.S. 
And we have a bit of good news from the Himalayas. And no, it has nothing to do with the current fiasco taking place on Mount Everest, which lost, I think, 11 people one day a few days back. And no, we're not talking about the efforts to climb Mount Everest, which take place uh, pretty much at the end of May every year. That's when the jet stream stops striking the world's tallest mountain. Kind of a startling thing to contemplate that at 29,000 feet, it sticks up into Earth's jet stream. Anyway, John Krakauer's book of several years ago um, apparently did not discourage people from being stupid on Mount Everest. In fact, to the contrary, the cash-strapped country, which depends on tourism as its number one industry, is now offering cut-rate mountain climbing expeditions, where you get basically intro to mountaineering classes on, um, on the world's highest peak. There's some startling photos uh, on the web currently showing a basic a, a conga line of climbers going up the peak. It's, it's really sad. But no, uh, my good news item is the fact that apparently from Monday to Friday, Lotte Chering is the Prime Minister of Bhutan. But evidently on Saturdays, the elected leader of this tiny Himalayan kingdom kingdom puts on a white coat and heads to the operating room at the National Referral Hospital. Chering, age 50, was elected last November and is regarded as one of the country's top surgeons. He says being a prime minister is much like being a doctor. In one role, he tries to improve the nation's health. In the other, the health of patients themselves. Prime minister says he can't imagine ever giving up surgery, which he says is a great de-stressor. Some people play golf, he said. I like to operate. And yet in another piece of good news, which also counts as a follow-up on this program, we note with some glee that, according to the Sacramento Bee, Sacramento area attorney Scott Johnson, who has sued thousands of small businesses in Northern California, alleging violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act, got indicted last week by our federal grand jury on charges that he filed fraudulent tax returns on funds he received from the lawsuits. Noted Sam Stanton in the Bee, Johnson, a quadriplegic whose lawsuits have garnered settlements, forced ADA improvements at various storefronts, and driven some firms out of business. Johnson was the focus of a three-part investigation by the Bee back in 2006 titled The Price of Access. It described how lawyers use ADA suits to force compliance with the law, but also earn thousands of dollars from small business owners who quickly agree to settle the suits rather than fight them out in court. The series described how Johnson based in Carmichael, cruises the streets in a full-size van accompanied by his service dog, whereupon he sues restaurants, a pet store he frequented, nice for the service dog, and other small businesses. At the time, the B analysts found that he had routinely settled suits for four to $6,000. Advocates of such lawsuits says they are necessary force to provide access to disabled citizens who frequently find businesses are inaccessible to them and do not want to spend the money to come into compliance with the law. But some business owners and others have compared the suits to extortion attempts to generate quick payoffs to settle the suits, and one review of Johnson on Yelp depicts the vitriol aimed at such filers. Said the reviewer, quote, this, is, this guy is why people think of lawyers as scumbags. He sues small businesses for minor violations of ADA laws and squeezes them to make big bucks for himself. Pure slime, end quote. Well, I can tell you this, where Mr. Merlin and I used to go get our haircuts, 
fell victim of one of the minions of Scott Johnson going in and asking the proprietor, uh, you mind if I use your bathroom? Then going in with a tape measure to discover that the distance between the sink and the toilet was like, you know, an inch too short. Johnson sued, and they went out of business. Now, we're certainly in favor of, of high-quality access to people with disabilities, and the Americans with Disabilities Act certainly has done some good and, by all means, had good intentions. But when you're popping people just because you can, you know, th- this, is, uh, this is the dark side of, of the ADA. My understanding, and I, I, can't, I can't vouch for this story, but I, I suspect it's true, is that Johnson apparently went into a store, and I think I know the store that used to be in Sacramento, that sold surveying equipment, bought a device that measures the slope in a, uh, in a ramp, took it out in the parking lot, measured it, found out they were just a little bit too high of an angle, and then sued the store. We do not know whether he returned the item for a full refund. I can tell you from personal experience that, uh, that I was once involved in having a ramp installed. Let's just leave it at that. For a property, which, which of course requires getting permits and getting drawings and spending a lot of money to create a ramp. Again, good intentions. But I also well remember when the inspector came out, laid the device down, looked at the ramp, looked at me and said, well, it looks like it's about a half degree off. Now, this did give him the power to make me do it over again. But looking at the horrifying expression on his face, he said, well, it'll it'll be all right. And I do certainly hope and, and assume that no wheelchair operators suffered from that extra half a degree. That is one of the problems with the ADA, and, and I guess you could say with, you know, government uh, directions in general. It's, it's, it's often good to, you know, say this is the goal, find out a way to achieve it, rather than specifying that, you know, the distance between this and this will be X. The distance on the, the slope on this needs to be Y. And why it is, various commercial establishments have to have those yellow walkways with the bumps on them. I'm a little unclear on, but I do know that every time I leave Dale Hardware and my shopping cart hits those bumps, I, <laughs> I'm hard-pressed to hang on to everything I just bought. Anyway, as should be clear by this point, we don't have a whole lot of sympathy for Mr. Scott Johnson, and, and if the IRS uh, throws the book at him, well, it's fine with us. Oh, and by the way, if, if by chance, dear listener, you, you know what those bumps are supposed to achieve, that's another reason to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. This might be a good time to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Roger Stone who is awaiting trial in the the Russian probe. Evidently, a court has granted him permission to judge the 2019 Exotic Dancer Invitationals at The Pony, a strip club in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, the former Trump advisor who has portrayed himself in the past, well, I'd say he's portrayed himself, and it seems pretty clear that he is a libertine and swinger. As you may recall, back in 1996, when Roger Stone was running the national campaign for Bob Dole, 
When it came out that Stone and his spouse engaged in wipe swapping, he had to step down. Apparently, though, he needs the money that the pony is going to pay him for his judging of the 2019 Exotic Dancer Invitationals. Uh, well, he, he does need to help raise some cash for his legal defense. Was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for substitutions after a customer at Britain's upscale Hawksmoor Manchester restaurant ordered a bottle of fine French wine worth, well, $333. And he was instead served by a rushed employee a $5,760 bottle of Chateau Lepin Pomerol. Reportedly, there was no extra charge. Whether that bottle of Chateau Lepin Pomerol is worth 15 times the price of a $333 bottle of wine, well, we, we just couldn't say. And it was an ugly week last week for the tourist who tried to use Airbnb to book a clean room with a private bathroom in Amsterdam because he discovered that it was, in fact, a shipping container parked on the sidewalk. Yes, Londoner Ben Spelling went over to Amsterdam and paid 100 pounds for the lodging and was stunned to discover it was a roadside container outfitted with three mattresses and a portable potty. We booked a hotel once we set eyes on it, said Speller, who demanded and got a refund from Airbnb. To be fair, I got my 100 quid's worth of comedy value. And from the week's Only in America file, we have this. Evidently, schools are turning to a smartphone app to theoretically help combat active shooters. The Share 911 app, now reportedly in use in more than 200 schools nationwide, allows staff to share and receive information with police while a mass shooting is underway. Explained Share 911 CEO Eric Andres, you can't decide if you're going to run, hide, or fight in the absence of information. And speaking of high-tech, which we seem to do on every program these days, Facebook reportedly removed more than 3 billion, with a B, 3 billion fake accounts from October to March, twice as many as the previous six months, the company said last week. Nearly all of them were caught before they had a chance to become active users of the social network. In a report, Facebook said it saw a steep increase in the creation of abusive fake accounts. While most of the accounts were blocked within minutes of their creation, supposedly, the company said this increase meant not only that it caught more of the accounts, but that more of them slipped through the cracks. Now, my understanding is that there's like 7 billion people on Earth and there's 2 billion Facebook users, and yet there's 3 billion fake accounts they deleted in 6 months? I'm having trouble with the math. We were sent quite a wonderful uh, must-view video in the past week. It has some incredible sound bites in it about, um, about tech and the people that are running tech. Rather than quote from it, I think on next week's program, we'll try and uh, uh, pull a few snippets out and air them. The Washington Post had a pretty hair-raising article this past week, which I think I will quote from. It was titled, It's the Middle of the Night. Do you know who your iPhone is talking to? Piece by Jeffrey Fowler. Notes that while Apple says what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone, our privacy experiment showed 5,400 hidden app trackers guzzled our data in a single week. Noted Mr. Fowler, it's 3 a.m. Do you know what your iPhone is doing? 
Mine has been alarmingly busy. Even though the screen is off and I'm snoring, apps are beaming out lots of information about me to companies I've never heard of. Your iPhone is probably doing the same, and Apple could be doing more to stop it. On a recent Monday night, a dozen marketing companies, research firms, and other personal data guzzlers got reports from my phone. At 11.43, a company called Amplitude learned my phone number, email, and exact location. At 3.58 a.m., another called AppBoy got digital fingerprints of my phone. At 6.25 a.m., a tracker called Demdex received a way to identify my phone and sent back a list of other trackers to pair up with. And all night long, there was some startling behavior by a household name, Yelp. It was receiving a message that included my IP address once every five minutes. Noted Jeffrey Fowler, our data has a secret life in many of the devices we use every day, from talking Alexa speakers to smart TVs. But we've got a giant blind spot when it comes to the data companies probing our phones. You might assume you can count on Apple to sweat all the privacy details. details. After all, it touted in a recent ad, you know, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. But said Fowler, my investigation suggests otherwise iPhone apps I discovered tracking me by passing information to third parties include Microsoft OneDrive, Intuit's Mint, Nike, Spotify, The Washington Post, (laughs) and IBM's The Weather Channel. One app, the Crime Service Alert Citizen, shared personally identifiable information in violation of its published privacy policy. According to the privacy firm Disconnect, which helped test my iPhone, Those unwanted trackers could have spewed out 1.5 gigabytes of data over a span of a month. That's half an entire basic wireless service plan from AT&T. Patrick Johnson, a former national security researcher who is chief technology officer Disconnect, said, this is your data. Why should it even leave your phone? Why should it be collected by someone you don't know? Why should it be collected by someone when you don't know what they're going to do with it? Johnson hooked my iPhone into special software we, so we could examine the traffic. In a world of data brokers, Jackson is, a, is the data breaker. He developed an app called Privacy Pro that identifies and blocks many trackers. If you're a little bit techie, I recommend trying his free iOS. Notes follow. Yes, trackers are a problem on phones running Google's Android 2. Google won't even let, let Disconnect's tracker protection software into its Play Store. Google's rules prohibit apps that might interfere with another app displaying ads. Part of Jackson's objection to trackers is that many feed the personal data economy used to target us for marketing and political messaging. Facebook's fiascos have made us all aware of how our data can be passed along, stolen, and misused. But Cambridge Analytica was just the beginning. Jackson's biggest concern is transparency. If we don't know where our data is going, how can we ever hope to keep it private? Why do trackers activate in the middle of the night? Some app makers have them call home at times the phone is plugged in or think it won't interfere with other functions. These late night encounters happen on the iPhone if you have allowed background app refresh, which is Apple's default. With Yelp, the company says the behavior I uncovered wasn't a tracker, but rather an unintended issue that's been acting like a tracker. The article cites DoorDash, the food delivery service. Launch that app. The article says, and you're sending data to nine third-party trackers, though you'd have no way to know it. Makers often use trackers because they're shortcuts to research or revenue. 
In the case of DoorDash, one tracker called SIF Science gets a fingerprint of your phone, device name, model and identifier and memory size, and even accelerometer motion data to help identify fraud, supposedly. DoorDash told Fowler it doesn't allow trackers to sell or share our data, which he says is great, but its privacy policy throws its hands up in the air, saying, quote, DoorDash is not responsible for the privacy practices of these entities, unquote. Chris, the article does point out that privacy policies don't necessarily provide protection. Citizen, that app for location-based crime reports, published that it wouldn't share your name or other personally identifying information. Yet when I ran my test, I found it repeatedly sent my phone number, email, and exact GPS coordinates to the tracker Amplitude. We will, of course, continue to follow all this stuff for you, dear listener, but let's take a break right now. You're listening to Radio Parallax. we got lots more in our second half. Stick around. 